Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lines. Roar, I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I got no one else with me today. No co-host, no special guest. This is a straight solo show for all of you. As you can guess, uh, recording this on January 4th, been a little bit difficult to find time to record after Penn State's bowl game due to the holidays, due to some other things. So first off, we want to say thank you uh, to everyone for listening to this edition because, again, just been a little bit tough for us to find time to record, but there's still plenty of things to talk about in the Penn State universe. Of course, the big one uh, is that Penn State's football season, it's come to an end. The Nittany Lions lost 38-25 in the Peach Bowl to Ole Miss to go to 10-3, and on the season, Penn State, you know, good news. They're going to be ending as a double-digit team with double-digit wins once again. Made it to a New Year's Six Bowl once again. But unlike last year, where the team was able to take down uh, take down Utah and the Rose Bowl. Going into this offseason with a little bit more of a sour taste in people's mouths. And I want to start, we're, we'll talk about the bowl just a little bit. Not going to spend too terribly much time on it. Because you've listened to other podcasts, you've taken some time to uh, kind of process it already. But still going to take a little bit of time to discuss the bowl. Uh, Penn State had a really good, I thought, first half. Went into the lock. Well, really good might not be the way to describe it. Went into the locker room down uh, 20 to 17, put up 14 points in the second quarter. Looked so much better than they did in the second half. At that point, Penn State got outscored in the second half, 28-8. to eight. Their only score uh, in the second half came, I don't want to say in the same fashion that their uh, scores came against um, Ohio State and Michigan, but by that point, Penn State needed 21 points in basically four minutes. And it made the final score look a tiny bit more respectable. But unlike those games, Penn State showed some signs of life a little bit earlier in the game that makes it feel seem not quite as bleak as those teams did. And I want to start in talking about this game by going back to something that our pal David Eckert said when David joined us on the pod uh, to talk about this game. He picked Ole Miss to win. He's one of the few people I know who picked Ole Miss to win this football game. And he said the reason that he was picking Ole Miss was mostly vibes. And I think in retrospect, that has turned, that turned out to be very true. One thing that this game really felt like to me was that Ole Miss viewed it the way that Penn State viewed the Rose Bowl last year. Obviously, Ole Miss has done some remarkable things out in the transfer portal. Although, funny enough, I'm recording this right after uh, their star running back, uh, Kinshawn Judkins, announced he was entering the transfer portal. So maybe, I, I don't want to say a bit of a damper on the offseason, but certainly a big bit of uh, big bit of news for them there. But Ole Miss, in winning this game, got to 11 wins on the year, was able to kind of exercise some of the demons that came from losing to Alabama and Georgia, two of the elite elite, elite teams in college football and put themselves in a position where they are now going into next season, even if Judkins does end up leaving, as one of the favorites on a national scale 
to do something. And it again, it reminds me a lot of what we saw out of Penn State last year after winning the Rose Bowl. You know, you know they, we knew they were going to lose some guys, Sean Clifford, uh, Jire Brown, etc., Joey Porter Jr. But Penn State was able to win the Rose Bowl, and it led to this wave of offseason hype. It, it's actually interesting. I have the uh, Las Vegas odds from 2023 up right here. Penn State at the end of bowl season last year was 18 to one to win the 2024 national championship. Ole Miss right now is 14 to one to win the 2025 uh, to win next year's national championship. So I think one thing that I underestimated going into this game was that Ole Miss was go needed this and was going to approach this as an opportunity to make a statement. And Penn State very easily could have used this game to make a statement as well. Obviously, things ended up being a little bit different for Penn State in how this game just kind of fundamentally worked. This wasn't the Penn State team that we watched all year. In some ways, it was. In the passing game, with how uh, limp it was in trying to get the football to wide receivers and how it was built around running, Drew Aller, this Rolls-Royce of a prospect, targeting tight ends and running backs almost exclusively. That was something that we've seen for much of this season. But other than that, they did a good job in the first half, I thought. They looked like Penn State in the first half. But at a certain point, to me, and this is something that James Franklin kind of got into after the game. At a certain point, the fact that Penn State went into this game compromised really impacted them. And I don't just mean in terms of the players that were on the field. Obviously, Drew Shelton didn't have an especially great game filling in for Old Fashioned. And I think that that did lend itself to some of the issues that Drew Aller had in the game. Uh, Anthony Donko on the right side, I thought, did a really good job spelling uh, Caden Wallace. He's going to be a guy that we're going to be paying attention to going into next year. The wide receivers, Keandre Lambert-Smith didn't play all that much. Dante Cephas didn't play a snap, and he has now entered the transfer portal. Penn State's wide receiver room, which wasn't great this year, decided to go in a different direction for much of this game than two of the guys it relied on. Penn State's defensive line didn't have Chop Robinson, barely had a Deesa Isaac. That's going to be a killer going into a game like this. Penn State's secondary didn't have Kalen King, didn't have Johnny Dixon. Did have Daquan Hardy. Daquan Hardy played 90 snaps. I, I don't think it is possible for us to say enough good things about Daquan Hardy. But it didn't have basically the two guys who the two guys who I think might have been most important, or two of the guys who might have been most important to making this entire defense work. And as a result, I want to I, I want to go to a couple of quotes that James Franklin said after the game. Just too many moving parts with the staff and with the players against a good team. Too many moving parts, staff and players, to have the type of success we wanted to have today. We obviously had the ability to move the ball in the first half, not as consistently, not as explosive as we'd like to be. But in the third quarter, again, starting with two three and outs, we had some injuries. We had some guys that had limited roles in the second half compared to the first half. And I see something like that. And what this tells me, one, obviously the fact that players sat out players were on really serious pitch counts. That hurts Penn State, especially when, you know, you talk about football as a game of Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's. On the Jimmy's and Joe's sides of things, 
Ole Miss went out there with its football team. Ole Miss's football team played that game. And Lane Kiffin, you know, a lot of people like to say a lot of things about him. That team played with a confidence and a swagger that I think came down from the head coach. Because I think Lane Kiffin understood that that game was crucial to them in being viewed as a team that can get over the hump next year, which is something we saw at, again, Penn State in the Rose Bowl last year. Lane Kiffin, how many times did the camera show him making a big decision? Camera cuts to the sideline and he's pumping his fist. He's jumping up and down. He's doing those sorts of things. That said to me that Ole Miss went into this game wanting to make a statement. You look at that. You look at the players. You look at how Jackson Dart played. Just chucking the ball down the field to Trey Harris, to finding Caden pre-scoring, those sorts of guys. Just Penn State didn't have guys that could really stop that from happening. I thought Cam Miller battled his ass off. Cam Miller fought. Cam Miller, even though he did not play, you know, his performance did not reflect that of a number one cornerback. Still a young guy, still going to get better. He showed me something in between the years in that football game. He showed me that he could get his ass kicked. Trey Harris, they just kept going to him. Jackson Dart kept, like, I don't know how he did it. He kept throwing footballs, like, to the exact point where only Trey Harris could get it. And even though Cam Miller took his licks in that football game, not once did I ever think he, you know, he just doesn't look like he has it. He fought every single time. That's what I want out of a number one quarterback, cornerback, or one of your number one cornerbacks. And it's something that I think gives me a little bit of optimism heading into next year. But Ole Miss had that. It had players making plays in a way that Penn State didn't. And when Franklin talks about the second half, when Franklin talks about how Ole Miss was able to pull away towards the end, one thing I think I underrated, and I think a lot of Penn State fans probably underrated, Ole Miss had their head coach in Lane Kiffin. Ole Miss had their offense play caller in Charlie Weiss Jr. Ole Miss had their defense coordinator in Pete Golding. They had kind of the brain trust behind their football team. They're fired up, ready to go planning and putting them in situations where even though you know even though this was viewed as a close game they knew the players they knew how to go into the locker room and pick things apart as people who have done that all year as people who have gone into the locker room all year and it is their responsibility. They have that feel for play calling. They have that feel for making adjustments, all these sorts of things. And I'm certainly not saying that uh, Juwan Sider, Ty Howell, and Anthony Poindexter don't have that. But what I am saying is they don't have it to the level, or they might not have had that to the level that those guys did. Those are really good football coaches. Anthony Poindexter is going to be a head coach somewhere sometime soon. Ty Howell is going to be an office coordinator somewhere sometime soon. Jawan Sider could be a head coach somewhere in Florida sometime soon, and I think people would be very, very happy about that. But you look at the Jimmys and Joes, you look at the X's and O's, and ultimately all those sorts of things just went in the direction that in Ole Miss's direction. And when we talk about vibes, when we talk about how it wasn't the Penn State team that we watched all year, I think that all feeds into it. There was one play in particular that really stuck out to me. Penn State starts the second half, three and out. Ole Miss goes down. They're able to get a field goal out of it. Uh, 52-yard field goal by their kicker, Caden Davis. Really impressive uh, Really impressive field goal for him. That, is it. that makes the game 23-17. Still right there in arm's reach. Penn State comes out on the following drive, three and out. 
they end up punting fourth and one. Obviously, this is a dry, uh, something that Franklin came under a lot of criticism for. I completely get the criticism. Uh, I think this criticism is a results-based one and a process-based one. If Penn State's defense is able to get off the field on that next drive, I think that's the, that, that stems off that tie a bit. But that next drive, Ole Miss 10 plays, 82 yards. What I think gets forgotten in that situation, first and 10, Penn State's run defense bottles up Judkins. He runs for one yard. Second and nine, Penn State is able to force an incompletion. Third and nine. Penn State lines up and shows that it's going to bring pressure. Penn State lines up, shows it's going to leave pressure, and leaves just an acre of space in the middle of the field. So what does Jackson Dart, a a good quarterback, do in that situation? He goes up, he points, he basically says, Judkins, run right there. He throws the ball to him, he's able to walk into the end zone. And it's little stuff like that where... You can't give something to a team like Ole Miss because they will take it. And I think this entire game was an example of Ole Miss wanting to come out and take things. Ole Miss wanted to come out and, again, show that this was their uh, this was their springboard to next year. Penn State just didn't have that. Can we take a ton from this football game from a Penn State pers- perspective? Running back's still going to be really good next year. Linebackers and defensive line, I think, are going to be really good next year, in part because of a bit of news that we got uh, in Devon Ellie's uh, coming back next season, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. Offensive line play. I'm very interested to see how Penn State handles left tackle in particular. Obviously, there's going to be a step back losing a guy like Olu Fashanu to the NFL. Olu, I don't even want to call him a blue chip prospect. I feel like that almost undersells him, but he is a special left tackle. No matter who they were going to be putting there, there were going to be struggles. And by all accounts, Drew Shelton spent this year primarily practicing and primarily developing a right tackle. And I think it's possible that some of the chickens came home to roost by putting him at left tackle in a game like this against a really good defense. So that's something I do think we need to keep an eye on as we go through into the offseason. I feel pretty good about the interior of Penn State's offensive line, particularly if they can figure out what to do with Hunter Norzad's replacement at center. Right tackle, again, we'll have to see what happens there, whether they go uh, into the transfer portal, whether they decide they want to uh, stick with a guy like Javen Williams, stick with a guy like Anthony Donko, whoever it might end up being. But I feel like left tackle, it's probably the second most important position on offense other than your quarterback. And I feel like Penn State, they just got some questions to ask. And I think it'll, it's going to be worth sitting here and seeing and waiting and see and figuring out what they decide to do at that position because Drew Shelton didn't have a great game. We've seen him have some nice games in the past. We've seen him play well in the past. So that's why I'm not totally willing to write him off. But this one didn't feel particularly great. Just seemed like he got lost in the sauce a little bit, uh, whether that was not knowing exactly what he needed to do on a given snap or just getting beaten on reps. And when you consider Penn State's passing game and the problems that it has, that's not good because Penn State's passing game uh, needs just about every single thing to go right. Even though I I, I do want to uh, make sure I shout this out, both Caden Saunders and Amari Evans posted tweets after the game saying, we have enough, more than enough talent. I, I actually like that mentality. Because I think if you are going into an offseason pissed off wanting to prove something, I want to see that. I would rather that 
guys who are motivated to prove something than, eh, whatever. It was a bad year. Okay. Because it was a bad year. I think everyone, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would say, I, I believe Marcus Higgins even said something after the game about, like, we need to be better, and that's on me, and we have to get better at these sorts of things. So we'll see what comes with the wide receiver play. They just, it, we've been talking about it all year. It's not worth rehashing this. It seems like between those statements from players, that statement from Marcus Higgins, a statement from James Franklin, I'm going to read here in a second, how aggressive they've been in trying to ID guys to come in in the transfer portal, they understand that. And I am happy that they are at least going into this offseason with that understanding other than just trying to kick the can down the road. We'll get to Drew in a second. Uh, cornerbacks, again, whether it was – you know, whomever it was that was getting thrown out there who wasn't Daquan Hardy, again, the known commodity in the group, they weren't really ever going to be in a position to succeed. I hate saying that. They were never really going to be put into a position to succeed, especially after Abu Carter went out and the Havoc guy in Penn State's front seven, the guy who, you know, I thought he was playing out of his mind. I thought he was playing as fast and as aggressive as we have seen him play all year. He goes out of the game. They're just on islands. There's not enough pressure getting onto Jackson Dart. He's able to start picking them apart. Again, we'll see what they do in the transfer portal. I am a fan of the talent that they have in that room. Again, I loved what we saw from Cam Miller. I loved watching him battle. Even though he took his licks, I want to see someone go, you got me on this rep. I'm going to get you on the next rep. And if you get God on the next rep, your focus turns to the next one. And I think he did that. So whether it's Cam Miller, Zion Tracy, Elliot Washington, Lamont Payne, Audavian Collins, you know, we'll see what they decide to do with some of uh, the guys in their very deep, very talented safety room. Like who knows what comes of, you know, a guy like King Mack and what his future holds. There's talent in that room. I, I hope they bolster it a little bit in one way or another. But we saw stuff from them that I think we could take as positives, even if it wasn't all positive by any stretch of the imagination. And then there's Drew Auer. And I think I, I think this quote from Franklin after the game sums it up. I think it's all of it, right? We've got to stay on schedule like we talked about. We've got to make plays for him when we have the opportunity to make plays for him. I think there's some things that he can do and be more consistent as well. But I think the biggest thing, which I think was a question earlier, is we've got to be able to score, scare people and be a threat consistently on the perimeter. That's something I think we've shown flashes of at times that we need to be able to do that on a consistent basis. So it's a little bit of Drew. I think it's a little bit of the offensive line. I think it's a little bit of the coaches. I think it's a little bit of the wide receivers. It's all the pieces of it. We've got to make some plays for him, and he's got to make some plays as well. It is telling to me... And it's really concerning to me that we're at the end of one season and we're talking about how he needs to do things. Obviously, no coach is going to throw one group under the bus to an extent that you're like, ooh, that's not good. But what we saw this season was a quarterback who is capable of really incredible highs. There is so much talent in Drew Aller, and I still believe in so much of it. But when he hits those lows, 
And whether that low is a lack of faith in himself, a lack of faith in the guys in front of him, a lack of faith in his wide receivers, a a belief in not turning the ball over that I think almost limited the all. I don't know if almost limited, did limit, whatever is the right thing. But when you have an NFL arm, and this kid has an NFL arm, he has NFL talent in him. His ability to throw the football, that God-given gift that he has, is something that few, if any, guys in the country can match. And he said in the lead-up to the bowl that there is a difference between high school open and college open, and he is starting to realize that. And yet I don't think we saw a guy consistently enough who realized that and executed it. The entire idea of Drew Auer is that he has gifts that that make up for the fact that these other things can happen, that there are these other issues. When a guy is 10% open because of the talent that he has, his arm talent, his ability to throw the football, that guy is actually 25-30% open. And I don't know what it was this year, whether it truly was just the receiver room wasn't quite good enough, whether it was his confidence, whether it was a hyperfixation on not turning the football over, whatever. All we know is that coming into this season, the offensive coaching staff made a decision. And that decision was, we want to minimize what Drew does because we want to lean on our running game. We want to lean on ball control. We want to lean on not making mistakes. And, you know, it's very possible that was the right move after what we saw at Penn State's wide receiver room. It's very possible that after Trey Wallace ended up getting hurt, that just derailed any hope of having a consistent passing attack. But I think those decisions probably, or I think it's very possible. I'll say it's very possible because I don't know for sure. It's very possible that we saw over the course of this season a quarterback who went into this season knowing that the offense was built around him not making mistakes. And as a result, he never made mistakes. And as a result, he never did the kinds of things that could lead to mistakes, but are the kinds of slightly higher risk, much higher reward decisions that he can make. He was great down the stretch of this game. He looked really good down the stretch of this game. Penn State goes tempo towards the end of this game, and Aller starts getting into a little bit of a rhythm starts throwing the ball a little bit better, starts looking a little bit more comfortable and confident, etc. There's that guy in there with him. This is the entire concept of why Penn State had a chance this year was built around the defense, yes, but was also built around Drew Maller and him having gifts and him having things about him that can paper over things. And heading into next season, you know, I, I've mentioned this on this podcast that I've mentioned it elsewhere that I think people are writing off Penn State a little bit too much heading into next season because of how this year ended. Coming into this year, Penn State, uh, by the time the final Vegas odds dropped, were 22-1 to one to win a national championship. Going into next season, Penn State, as of right now, 25-1 to one to win a national championship. Elite quarterback play papers over problems. We'll see what they do in the transfer portal. We'll see how Andy Kotelnicki coordinates this offense going forward. But priority number one 
is getting that guy to be that guy. He showed it for stretches this year. He showed it on occasion in this game. Now he's got to show it going forward. If Penn State wants to be the kind of team and Drew wants to be the kind of quarterback that we all believe they can be. I don't think this loss put a damper on the season or anything. I think this loss obviously stunk. Uh, you never want to go into an off. It's better to go to an off season, go into Mar- February, March, April, May, June, go into the eight month break that we have from this sport with a good taste in your mouth. But with how this wasn't the Penn State team we watched this year because of the coaches and the play, coaches leaving, uh, or one coach getting fired, one coach leaving for a head coaching job with players sitting out this game, and with how there's stuff coming on the horizon in Andy Kotelnicki, in Tom Allen, in a guy like Julian Fleming, etc. I still feel good about Penn State going forward. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like watching that game didn't stink. It stunk. Something that doesn't stink, though. How's this for a transition? Something that doesn't stink is our friends at Homefield Apparel. Of course, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that Homefield Apparel has been our sponsor from day one of us going podcast only. Homefield has been a great partner for us. I know other folks in the world of uh, college sports media, they've been really great with them as well. Homefield, what they put out is as good of things you're going to get. I actually got the, my girlfriend got me the bomber jacket. For Christmas, I know plenty of folks who got home field uh, attire, whether it's for Penn State or another school, during this past holiday season. And while the holidays are past us, I'd still like to advise all of you to go out there, get something from home field, whether it's for Penn State, whether it's for another school. And if you've never purchased anything from home field in the past, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Again, for new customers, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Homefield, as always, thank you very much for sponsoring this podcast. Let's get back to talking about Penn State. And one thing we talked about all year, just touched on uh, while discussing the bowl game uh, and how it took three, three and a half quarters, whatever it was, for a wide receiver to catch a football, is that there's going to be some overhaul uh, in Penn State's wide receiver room. Penn State's wide receiver room could really use this kind of overhaul after a season that was just really disappointing. I, I, I don't think there is a single person who feels good or felt good about what happened in Penn State's wide receiver room this year. If you'll uh, just forgive me for one second, I'm going to go pull up some stuff that uh, Tyler Donahue of 24-7 ended up tweeting out on, um, on Wednesday about Penn State's wide receiver room, because I think it's this stuff really does highlight some of the problems. And all of my own little uh, factoid that I got from watching Penn State's wide receiver room, because, boy, it wasn't particularly good. Penn State's second most productive receiver this year was Dante Cephas, 22 catches, 246 yards, two touchdowns. The year before was Parker Washington, 64 catches. Year before, 46 catches. Year before Parker Washington, 64 catches. Year before... In the pandemic season, Parker Washington, 36 catches. The one from Tyler that I really want to point out, Jahan Dotson, 2021, 91 catches, 1,182 yards, 12 touchdowns. This year, their top three wide receivers, 94, 1,147, and seven. Drew Aller, his, receipt, his recruiting class, 2022, featured one, two, three, Five wide receivers, one tight end, 
and two running backs in Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. This season, Singleton and Allen led Penn State's 2022 recruiting class of receptions. After that, here's how it broke down. The leader was Caden Saunders with six receptions. Second was Omari Evans with four. Third was Drew Aller with two. Fourth was Christian Driver with one, and then Anthony Ivey, Jerry Cross, Tyler Johnson. Jerry Cross, obviously, a bit of a different story as a tight end, all had zero. Penn State has, and maybe it's because of the turnover in the room, maybe they're just not great at developing wide receivers for one reason or another, has not been able to get over this entire season consistent wide receiver playing guys that they've recruited. They just haven't been able to do that. Coming into this year, there was a lot of hype around Keandre Lambert-Smith, 53 receptions, 673 yards, four touchdowns. I'd say an, an okay year. I think statistically, even with how he faded down the stretch, that's an okay year. The problem was everyone beyond that. Harrison Wallace getting hurt, obviously hurt. William Clifford, he tries his best. And I don't mean that to be patronizing. That dude, you could tell he tries and cares. Just wasn't able to consistently put up big numbers, 13-130 and no touchdowns. One of the guys who had, who kind of came in with a ton of hype was Dante Cephas. Dante Cephas, the Kent State transfer, who had some really big numbers over the course of his career at Kent State. His big year, 2021, 82 receptions, 1,240 yards, nine touchdowns. Last year, 48 receptions, 744 yards, and three touchdowns. This year, 22 receptions, 246 yards, two touchdowns. His high in the game in receptions was six with Maryland, against Maryland. His high on the season in receiving yards was 53 against Maryland two touchdowns. Both of his touchdowns came against Maryland. He didn't have a touchdown against anybody else. Beyond that, he had three receptions against Michigan State. That was his second highest total on the season for a single game. 36 yards against Michigan State and Delaware tied for a second highest total on a game. And everything kind of came to a head with him by not playing in Penn State's bowl game. He did not play, uh, did not play against Ole Miss. Easy enough. I Not good. Guy like that doesn't play. He hits the transfer portal not too terribly long after. And both James Franklin and Marcus Higgins, I don't have the quotes up, basically said decisions on the depth chart are made in practice. I think you can read into that however you will. They didn't think he practiced enough to play in the game. They did not think he did enough to deserve to play in the Peach Bowl, a game where Penn State was desperate for help from its wide receivers. And he's gone now. You know, you wish him the best. You want to see where he ends up. I, like, I think there's talent in there. I think he was kind of put into a difficult situation no matter what coming into the room when he came into the room. Uh, came in August, I believe, wasn't able to get onto campus early enough. And things just, you know, it just didn't click for him. And sometimes it just doesn't click for a guy. We had Mitchell Tinsley in Happy Valley two years ago or last season. And he did a really nice job. It clicked for him. It didn't for Dante Cephas. Truly, it happens, and you don't want to besmirch a guy for that. But in with him going out, Penn State has a guy coming in, a guy coming in that has been a bit of a um, a, a bit of a point of fascination for Penn State fans for quite some time. In Julian Fleming, uh, the former Ohio State receiver, uh, went to Southern Columbia High School in Catawissa, Pennsylvania, right in Central PA, coming out of school. Number 14 player in the country, number one wide receiver with from rivals, number four player in the country, number one wide receiver by 24-7 sports, number one receiver in the country, number one player by ESPN. He was a blue chip prospect. 
it hurt that Penn State was not able to get him. Although a guy goes to goes to Ohio State to play wide receiver under Brian Harline, kind of hard to besmirch them. And what Fleming has done over the course of his career, he's battled some injuries. He had to come back from some uh, injuries over the course of his career that I think if you watch the guy he was in high school and you watch who he is now, you could tell he's maybe not as fluid, maybe not as dynamic as he was when he was in high school. Of course, a big part of that is just when you are a guy who can play at Ohio State, a guy who could play at Penn State, a guy who could play at an elite school, a top t- five, ten, whatever you want to say, player in the country, and you're playing single-A football in Pennsylvania for a program in Southern Columbia that is one of the best in the state, if not maybe just the outright best, consistently great program in the state, you're going to look really good. But injuries have ended up catching up with Julian Fleming over the course of his career. And one reason why I think he is such a big addition Despite the fact that he has dealt with injuries, despite the fact that Ohio State consistently gets in the kinds of players who could play over him, the one thing about Ohio State is they get the absolute best receiving talent in the country to join me in Columbus, Ohio. He kept playing. He kept getting the trust of the coaching staff. And he kept finding ways to make an impact. Had some problems with drops. Wasn't always the the most reliable pass catcher uh, for Justin Fields, for C.J. Stroud, for Kyle McCord. But he still has solid solid hands. 74 receptions over the years, 963 yards, seven touchdowns. He would consistently play. He was really good at run blocking. He was a very good blocker on the outside, which is something that Penn State could use if it wants to run that more outside zone type of offense under Andy Kotelnicki with its two blue chip running backs and Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. He's a good possession receiver. He's just a guy that I think knows how to go about his business and turn into a target that a quarterback can rely on. Even if he is not, you know, in his career, 12.2 yards per attempt or yards per, uh, yards per catch. Not like stellar, but not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Tyler Warren this year was at 12.4. Harrison Wallace is at 12. Keandre Lambert-Smith was at 12.7. He's not going to be the kind of guy who is running go routes and Drew Aller is uncorking these beautiful deep bombs. But he's a guy who knows how to play, who knows what he has to do within the confines of an offense, who is coming from the best receiver room in the country, or the second best if you want to put Washington's above them, into a Penn State room that could just use someone, or seems like it could just use someone, who's going to say, this is the standard. This is how we're going to go about our business. Let's go. I thought it was telling. And you could say this is a negative. I wouldn't blame you for doing that. That despite the fact that he transferred in the Big Ten to a team that doesn't beat Ohio State, but challenges Ohio State, that is competing with Ohio State. There, go look at the Instagram comments. Seriously, go look at the Instagram comments. It's not the perfect way of uh, judging this. A lot of Ohio State fans, a lot of current and former Ohio State players are really happy for this guy. They think he is someone who deserves something like this. And he's coming like that. He's coming as a guy who demands respect. And going into a Penn State wide receiver room that underperformed this season, 
a guy who's going to come in and demand respect is something that I think is really important. He's going to bring a really high standard into that room. I wouldn't be stunned if he's an ex- basically pretty quickly turns into an extension of James Franklin and Marquise Higgins in there. We'll see what else happens in Penn State's wide receiver room. Who knows what's going to come of this? I think expectation is setting is going to be really important for Julian Fleming. I think if you're expecting him to come in and catch 70 balls for 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns, maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not something worth um, banking on with him. It's not like he's uh, the kind of guy who has put up NFL caliber production from day one. But if you're expecting him to come in, you know, you average out uh, 34 receptions last year, 26 this year, right around 30 receptions, right around 400, 500, some odd yards and a couple of touchdowns and makes the guys around him better. I think that's, that should be about the floor for me. That should be about the floor. That should be about the expectation. Whatever gets built on on top of that is something that I think is really important. Besides the, the full circle moment of this is a guy James Franklin desperately wanted, you know, dominate the state, all that. This is a guy James Franklin desperately wanted. This is a guy who came to Penn State a ton as a high schooler. I went to high school right down the road from where Julian Fleming went to high school in Southern Columbia. He's in Penn State country and he's coming home. He's going to be playing for the local team. I think that's huge. I think that's awesome. I think it's a big win for Penn State, even if it's a win that made a lot of sense from both sides of things. And I'm excited to see what comes of this. I'm excited to see what happens with the rest of Penn State's wide receiver room. The good thing about a season being over is you can now be excited about the next one. You can now kind of put the blinders on and look at the good. And if we sit here and look at the good, in Penn State's wide receiver room. Christian Driver's out. Dante Cephas is out. Best of luck to both of them. We'll have to figure out what Keandre Lambert-Smith ends up doing. And then the rest of the wide receiver room. Liam Clifford, Malik Megan, we'll see what he ends up doing. Amari Evans, Trey Wallace, Caden Saunders, Tyler Johnson, Malik McLean, Anthony Ivey, Carmelo Taylor, and some recruits coming in. And Josiah Brown, Peter Gonzalez, and Tyson Denmark. I think... There, there's definitely talent in there. Just, you know, off the top of my head, I, we'll, we'll put a bit of an asterisk on Lambert Smith just because he is the decision he has to make. William Clifford, uh, I believe he was a three-star prospect. Um, Malik Meg has been more of a special teams guy. Amari Evans has speed that you can't teach. Three, maybe a four-star prospect. Don't remember off the top of my mind. Trey Wallace, we heard them talk about, you know, it, it, to go back to a point that Tyler Donahue made in the lead-up to the bowl game, he was talked about coming into the season as being Penn State's number one receiver. Wasn't able to stay healthy, got hurt again in the bowl game. Hopefully he could stay healthy. But it's pretty clear to me that they bank on him. They rely on him, and they want to see great things from him. Kane Saunders, again, he thinks there's more than enough talent in that wide receiver room. He was, able, he was a guy who was able to get a bit of run this season. Time for him to show it. And there's certainly talent there. He's a top 100 or so recruit in America, four-star kid. There's talent there. McLean, former top 100 recruit, former five-star, gives a bit of a physical profile that they lack in Penn State's wide receiver room. Uh, six, 71, and one on the year. Had that good game against West Virginia, and I just kind of didn't play again. And then young guys in Tyler Johnson, Anthony Ivey, and Carmelo Taylor, whether they were three, four-star prospects, there's talent there. There is talent in this room. And now it's about getting the most out of that, and hopefully a guy like Julian Fleming. You know, everyone talks about Penn State needs two or three receivers. I agree to an extent. 
I think Fleming is a big one. He's someone who counts here. There's one. Do I think they necessarily need to go into the transfer portal for the other two? I don't know. Can Trey Wallace be healthy? If Trey Wallace is healthy, I think there's one. I, I think that is basically like getting a receiver. If he is able to be healthy and take a step forward, I think that is like getting a receiver. And then can one of these other guys, King Saunders, Malik McLean, Anthony Ivey, Carmelo Taylor, Tyler John, one of these guys take enough of a step forward over the next eight months? Who knows? But I think that's like getting a third guy, getting the third guy that they want, that people want Penn State to get. If they can go out and get someone in the portal who makes them better, awesome. If not, banking on health for Wallace and banking on one of those guys taking a step forward, which was something we did this past year, something that I particularly did this last year, and I understand why there might be consternation about that. I think that would be huge for Penn State. So that's the state of play in the wide receiver room as of now. We'll see what ends up coming beyond that. Again, best of luck to Dante Sivas and whatever is next for him. Uh, I think there's talent in there. I think he has speed that you cannot teach. And I'm interested to see if someone is able to tap into that somewhere in college football. I'd I'd love, 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 love to see him uh, head out to San Diego State and get reunited with Sean Lewis, who is his coach at Kent State, and he did some really great things under. Last thing I want to talk about, uh, Penn State got a big addition uh, well, won't say addition, but a big bit of news at defensive tackle on Wednesday night. Uh, one of the guys who turned into one of its most reliable players up front in Devon Ellis announced he's going to be coming back next season. We'll see what other guys at defensive tackle have to do. I don't believe Koziah Izzard has announced anything one way or the other. I don't think Hakeem Beeman has announced anything one way or the other. But this season, among Penn State's defensive tackles, Zane Durant led the way with five and a half tackles for loss. Devon Ellis was second with five tackles for loss. Again, among the guys who lined up primarily at defensive tackle, Ellis led the way with 26 tackles. I think when you look at Penn State's defense next year, I don't have a major question at defensive end in large part because of Denai Dennis Sutton being uh, a freak of nature and there being talent on the other side of him uh, in guys like Amin Vanover and guys like Jameel Lyons and guys like Zariah Fisher, and guys like Smith Bilbert. Not too concerned about that. Linebacker, like I'm, I'm not concerned in the slightest. Yes, Curtis Jacobs, an unbelievable player, is going to be moving on. Abdul Carter is going to be there. Although, you know, maybe he moves to defensive end. That would be really fun. Abdul Carter rushing the path, being on the Micah Parsons path, essentially becoming a pass rusher. But even if he stays there, Tony Rojas, Keon Wiley played a bit and didn't look bad at all in the Peach Bowl. Kobe King is going to be back. We'll see what happens with a guy like Tyler Elson, and guys like Kavion Keys, uh, whether Elston decides to come back or move on or do something else. And with Keys if he is able to establish himself a little bit. But there's talent in that linebacker room. And Tom Allen, he knows how to coach up linebackers. I'm excited to see what he does there. Cornerback already kind of went through the state of play there. Safety, not concerned the slightest. Defensive tackle gave me just a little bit of agita heading into next season. We know Xander Rand's going to be back. We know Xander Rand's a baller. We know he is a little bit undersized, but a really explosive athletic player in that position. 
And then you look, what could they get from Devon Townley? What could they get from Ty Blanding? What can they get from Alonzo Ford? What can they get from Jordan Vandenberg or Caleb Artis? Those guys who uh, they have spent they have spent scholarships on who we just haven't really seen a ton of over the years. Coming in in this next recruiting class, we'll see what Liam Andrews turns into. We'll see what if any of their uh, defensive uh, their edge guys kick in. We'll see what T.A. Cunningham turns into. Uh, we'll see what DeAndre Cook turns into. But we don't know for sure what any of those guys are going to be. And whether it was Beeman, whether it was Izzard, whether it was Ellie's, getting at least one of them back, I think, was going to be important. And just having that little bit of solidity and stability at defensive tackle. But I think if I had a wish list of those guys, Ellie's was number one. Big, nasty, physical, productive, a guy who formed a really good partnership this year with Durant at defensive tackle. And most importantly, whenever James Franklin had a chance to bring up a guy and bring up the leadership that they provided, bring up just kind of that intangible thing that they provided, Ellie's was one of the guys, one of the first names out of his mouth on the defensive side of the football. And with a new defensive coordinator coming in, with NFL losses happening at all three levels of Penn State's defense, in Adisa Isaac, in Chop Robinson, in Curtis Jacobs, in Kalen King, in Johnny Dixon, I think getting a guy like Ellie's back, again, setting an ultra-high standard for Penn State football on the defensive side of the ball, someone who seems like he has no qualms about speaking up, about saying this is not good enough, we need to be better. Someone who, if, if you want to have some fun, uh, I believe Anais Hawkins has told a story uh, about uh, what happens when Devon Ellie's mean streak bubbles over a little bit. Uh, I, I recommend go ser- searching that one out. But all these sorts of things are things that I think Penn State's defense, you want as much continuity as possible. He brings in that continuity. And we'll see what happens with Izzard, and we'll see what happens with Beeman. Time will tell if the two of them, you know, Ellie's redshirt senior, Beeman redshirt senior, Izzard a junior, they have years of eligibility. We'll see if they end up using it. But I think that's a big addition for Penn State's defense. I think that is a big, big guy to have back along the defensive line for Penn State. And like I said a second ago with um, with the wide receiver core, end of the season means we can kind of put those blinders on and look towards the future with a little bit of optimism. I think we would have needed to do that kind of regardless uh, with the defensive tackle position, the defensive line, with the talent they're losing. But a guy like Ellie's coming back means I think you can put those blinders down and still see there's going to be a really good defensive line with Denai Dennis Sutton as kind of the crown jewel pass rusher and two really big, really physical, really nasty body guys in Zane Durant and Devon Ellie's lining up in the front. So you look through all of that. We'll see what ends up happening in the coming days and weeks with Penn State football, with guys transferring in, maybe guys decide to enter the portal. We'll see what ends up happening, but lots of reasons for optimism. You know, I, I think in the immediate aftermath of the bowl game, it wasn't hard to feel bad. I certainly felt a little bad myself. And I think all of you know that I tend to be um, 
you know, I don't tend to be optimistic or pessimistic in one way or the other, but I tend to be kind of look at the information we have and make decisions based off of that. And based on the information we had after that bowl game, I didn't feel very good. But a couple of days later, I, I want to say, it wasn't that I didn't feel very good because I thought they were going to be a four-win team next year or anything. It's just, it felt like there was going to be a bit of an uphill climb ahead of them heading into the next season. And on the heels of Julian Fleming coming in, Devon Ellis coming back, a really good recruiting class coming back, good coordinator hires, and just kind of getting away from how not great that loss felt, I don't feel too bad right now. And I hope you don't feel too bad either. And I hope you don't feel too bad that you spent, uh, how much time are we on? About 50 minutes listening to me ramble on about Penn State football. Thank you, as always, for listening to this edition of the pod. Um, make sure you subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast, Apple Podcasts. If you want to go leave us a five-star review there, cool. Want to go leave us five stars on Spotify, cool. Also drop a question in that Q&A so we have stuff to talk about because the offseason's here now. We got eight months of content we need to fill. We got to figure out what we're going to do with that. So uh, make sure you do that. Go follow us over on Twitter at RLR blog. Go subscribe to us on YouTube. Hop into the YouTube comments, talk about things with other Penn State fans over there and as always one just one more time thank home field apparel for sponsoring the pod again the promo code rlr23 for 15 percent off of your first order if you're a new customer one last time thank you everyone for listening to this edition of roar lions roar i'm bill de filippo take care everyone